Once again, I think I have beat it into you well enough. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, the theme for Ephesians. Christian, you are wealthy. You are rich beyond belief. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, since you're so wealthy, now walk worthy. We're coming to the end of that first section. And it's very important that each one of us understands how wealthy we are, how much he loves us, how much he has. uh, He's willing to come and to wrap us in his arms and to carry us through. Because if you don't get this, if you don't understand how much he loves you and how much he's he's paid, uh, the price he's paid just to to have you with him in heaven, then you won't be particularly motivated to walk worthy. So. Paul has been talking about these spiritual riches that God has poured out upon us as Christians. Just to name a very, very few. Forgiveness for your sin. His righteous robes in exchange for your filthy rags. He's taken us from death's row and and put us, placed us into the family of God. And if you've been with us, you know that there was even a point where Paul kind of took the Gentile aside and said, No, not to embarrass you, but you, Gentiles. You know that, in particular, you guys weren't even pursuing after God. At least the Jews were were trying to please Him. You guys were, like, really wicked. Paul says, look, we should be feeling like we just won the the spiritual jackpot, the the lottery. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are filled to overflowing with blessing riches for the Christian. Now, here's the deal. They're not physical blessings. Never once here does he mention a Maserati. Or a really nice car. Or a really nice house. But he talks about blessings. And he says these are spiritual blessings. But mind you, they are very real. No wonder that chapter 3 ends with Paul. Don't forget, he's in a prison cell. right? He's, he's probably chained between two guards. No wonder that it ends with him praying for other people. Not saying, you pray for me, I'm in jail. No, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee. He's going to now talk about how he prays for the Ephesians. And he ends up uh, the last couple of verses with just like amazing praises toward God. Let's just read the whole uh, thing to get get uh, some of the context of it. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14, Paul speaking from uh, in chains here. For this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul praying for the Ephesians. And again, you notice that the basic tenor of his prayer is, I'm praying that your eyes will be opened, that you will see this, how rich you are. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This amazing soaring soliloquy from a man in chains. We've been reminded over the last couple of weeks, focusing on the fact that Paul wrote this, you know, while in captivity. But 
the spiritual inventory that we've been taking isn't just a good idea. It isn't just something that Paul did and we're like, wow, Paul's a really great guy. It's amazing how he you know, looked on the bright side of things. No, it's not just a good idea. The spiritual inventory is truly Paul's lifestyle. So how fitting that we would hear this crescendo at the end of his uh, symphony here from prison. This joy in jail that he has, this triumph and trial, it just comes bubbling over. Look at verse 14 as we begin. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys remember, uh, some of you were, when we were looking back at chapter 3, verse 1, Remember verse one that uh, this is kind of chapters one or excuse me chapter three verses one through thirteen are kind of Paul's inspired digression because look at it verse one he says for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles oh look something shiny <laughs> and then he goes talking about hey I'm a prisoner but don't you worry about me okay um, and then finally in verse fourteen is where we are now he comes back to that very same phrase for this reason. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See there, he's, he's kind of wrapping that whole idea up. Look, the, the idea was, there's this, there's this message that the Lord gave me, and that's the reason I'm in jail, is that God, believe it or not, loves filthy, stinking Gentiles too. He says the whole family of of in heaven and earth is named after Christ. He's talking about one big happy family and that was the that was the radical thought back then. Again, it was Jews were in one camp, Gentiles were in another, and um they hated each other. But Paul's been talking about the fact that God can can bring Jew and Gentile together. And what he's saying here is, look, the family of God uh you won't be when you when you get to heaven, you won't be Judy, the Jew. Or Jenny, the Gentile. You won't be Bob the Baptist or Paul the Pentecostal. The whole family in heaven and on earth is named Christ, is named after Christ. Y'all, the obvious point needs to be made. Everyone you meet in heaven who's part of the family of God is only there because we belong to Christ. And he's given us a new name. If you're here this morning and you've never been born again, that's what we call it. Jesus said, look, to be born once isn't enough. Because if you're born once, you're born into the Adam's family. Right? Well, Adam was the one who introduced sin. And sin is not allowed in heaven. If, if you're only part of the Adam's family, you're not getting in. Jesus says, you must be born again. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except by me. At the end of all things, only the family of God will will remain, and it won't be the Adam's family, it won't be Jews, it won't be Gentiles, it will be those who belong to Christ. Just again, we, we try to make sure that every week, any unbeliever here hears this message. You have to be born again. But in case you hadn't heard, God wants you born again. Because he loves filthy, nasty sinners like me. No matter what you've done, 
He is willing to take your filthy rags and exchange Jesus' righteous robes for you and to pour out spiritual riches. God loves the rags to riches story. And he wants to do it today to anyone who, who's willing to take him up on it. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're going to spend the rest of this morning looking at how Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And I really hope that we get this. You know how we, at the end of every sermon, we look for applications, right? Lord, what is it you'd have me to do with this information? I would love it. If everyone's application today was, Lord, this week, maybe preferably for the rest of my life, I'm going to pray for my fellow Christians the way Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I promise you, if we do, you won't recognize, if you're a snowbird and you come back next year, you won't recognize this church. If we pray for one another the way Paul prayed for the Ephesians. First, we're going to see first how Paul prayed for them. That is how he prayed for them. But then secondly, we're going to see what he prayed for them. What were the topics of prayer uh, for Paul regarding the Ephesians? Okay. So if you you will, maybe you're not normally a note taker. Maybe just take down some of these key points and we'll give you a chance at the end as well. To me, if if I'm hearing right... The things that Paul does here, and if I can learn to pray for you guys this way, your lives will be radically changed and and vice versa. This is the kind of stuff that's worthy, I think, of putting on a piece of paper and putting in your Bible and say, okay, when I pray for so-and-so, this is how I'm going to do it. Okay? All right. First notice how Paul prayed for them. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Paul bowed his knee. Um, The... The normal way to pray these days in our culture is pretty much kind of your head bowed and your eyes closed, right? Back then, the normal way to pray was standing up with your arms to the, to the heavens. But Paul here says, I'm not praying the, the normal way for you guys. He says, I bow my knee. Now, this is actually a very simple application, but I think it's worth mentioning. When was the last time you physically bowed your knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know, for some, you're like, if I bow my knee, I won't get up. (laughs) I get that, I get that. And if that's you, then bow the knee of your heart, okay? But what about the rest of us? What if you're physically able? It doesn't mean you have to pray that way. Um, David Guzik, uh, pastor at Santa Barbara now, He says, look, there there were enough examples in in the New Testament of people praying in other ways to show it's obvious that to to pray with your knee bowed isn't the only way to pray. It's not required. But he says there's also enough examples of people praying just that way to say that it's good. It's a good thing. Why? Why do you think so? Because it shows shows you and the Lord that he's the boss. Lord, you're the king. You're the, the one who calls the shots, Lord. If, if in your almighty wisdom, it's best that I have cancer. Lord, so be it. Lord, if in, in your almighty wisdom, it's best for, for me and for eternity that this thing happens that I would never want to happen. Why, when you bow your knee, you are saying with the picture, Lord, you're the boss. Or whatever you say goes. And I'm okay with that. So, 
If you're physically able, maybe that's one thing just to, to note this week. To bow your knee to Him this week. So, we see Paul pray for the Ephesians, number one, on bended knee. But number two, and this is, this is huge. Actually, it is huge. Paul prayed for them big. He prayed for these Ephesians big and bold. I want you to see this, verse 16. For this reason, I bow my knee that he would grant you, that means that he would give you, that he would hand over to you according to the riches of his glory. Paul's praying big here. Riches, the word is plutos. It's where we get the word plutocrat. It means ridiculous wealth, okay? I've used this illustration before, but it works, I think. I don't know. You'll tell me. If you remember it, that means it worked. Um, Let's say you are a waitress at Chili's. Just down the street here. Uh, okay, if you're a guy, you're a waiter. Okay, don't get weird on me. Um, you, in, in walks Bill Gates. One of the ridiculously wealthy, richest guys in the world. Now, if he grants you a tip, if he gives you a tip that's just in accordance with your performance, maybe 20%, whatever. If he, let's say he's feeling really nice and he gives you $100. That's one thing. But if he, this is what this phrase here means, according to the riches of his glory, it means commensurate with. It means in line with his riches. If Bill Gates grants you a tip according to his riches, you can open up your own chilies. Right? If, if he does it not according to how well you performed, but instead of how wealthy he is. You get it? Paul's right from the get-go here, praying big and bold for the Ephesians. I've had a few conversations with people, and it seems to be a holy thread this, this last few weeks. More and more of us are convicted of our puny prayers. The, the fact that we tend to pray puny prayers. Um, Lord, would you dabble a bit of your grace upon that poor sap? Dear, dear Lord, would you drizzle a bit of mercy upon my fellow saint? You see, in contrast, Paul says, Lord, these Ephesians, will you, will you not use a man-sized scoop? Will you use a God-sized scoop to bless these Ephesians? You get it? That's, what, that's where Paul's going here. Would you guys do that for me? Would you commit to praying for each other that God would use a God-sized scoop? Okay, um, maybe your application, one of them this week is, Lord, forgive me for my puny prayers. You're, you're the creator of heaven and earth. Would you bless my fellow saints according to the riches of your glory, in accordance with, in line with how great you are? Now, if we were to just stop there, if I wasn't to teach through the rest of the text, some of you, especially if you're new, you might think, Oh, this guy's one of those name it and claim it preachers. Blab it and grab it. I think you'll see, actually, as we go through very quickly, Paul's not going there at all. See, we've seen how he prays. He prays um, with his knees bowed and he's praying to a big God and he's asking for big things. But please notice what Paul is not asking for here for the Ephesians. As we go through, he's not going to say in, in any way, shape, or form, Lord, bless their socks off materially. He's not going to say, Lord, I rebuke that debt in the name of Jesus. 
He's not going to say, Lord, strengthen them materially or health wise or even comfort wise. No, notice the very first thing he prays, but he prays it in a big way. Lord, strengthen them in the inner man. Look at verse 16. Paul says to the Ephesians, look, I'm praying for you that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory in a huge way with a God sized scoop to be strengthened with might. Word strengthen and might. Those are two big power words. OK, uh, think bodybuilder. <sighs> yeah, just look this way. You'll get it. OK. Um, <laughs> think, think hulking muscles, right? Think which way to the beach. Um, think. A guy that can bench press a car. Okay. Paul saying, look, I'm praying that God would make you super strong like Atlas. Not through creatine or steroids or P90X or Zumba. But look, at the end of verse 16, they would make you super strong through his spirit in the inner man. Do you hear Paul's prayer? He's praying in a big way, but what he's praying for is for the inside of you. Lord, would you make him strong on the inside? Let me paint a, a mental picture for you. What if suddenly each of us in the room, the awesome physical specimens that we are. Yeah. What if each of us were only as strong as our inner man? If outwardly we were only as strong as our inner man, how many of us would slide down our seats, boneless puddles of goo on the floor? <laughs> apparently, apparently Philip would. Paul's praying, says, Lord, make them strong on the inside. He's praying big and bold, but he's not praying for physical stuff. He's praying, Lord, make them strong on the inside. Lord, make them more powerful than temptation. Make them more powerful. Pump them up with self-control. Lord, make them able to leap tall worries in a single prayer. Make them faster than a locomotive to their knees in prayer. Lord, would you help them able to be able to tame that tongue, that wild animal in their mouth? Lord, would you give them a great workout in the area of patience? You're like, somebody's been praying that for me lately. You know, we, we need to pray for each other a lot more this way, don't we? I don't know about you, but it's kind of my default to tend to pray more for the outer man. Lord, would you heal them? Lord, would you feed them? Lord, would you get them a good job? Lord, would you change their circumstance? Lord, would you make their life easier? Look, those are not bad prayers. But I'm, I'm really grateful that, that many of you prayed that the Lord would heal me, that he would give me a good report. These are good things because God is he's concerned about us. Right. He cares for us. But listen, how much better to pray, Lord, strengthen the inner man, the inner woman. Could we do that for each other? Or would you, would you strengthen them on the inside? Have you ever thought about this? That when you pray for the outer man, the circumstances, all those kind of things, that the best return you're going to get is for a few years. 
Again, some of you so graciously this week prayed that I wouldn't have cancer of the liver. Okay? It could be somebody mentioned it to me. It's like, you know, it could be that you had it and he healed you from it. That could be. But let's, let's take that scenario. Let's say that that's what happened. And, and you prayed specifically that God would heal me. You realize the best return you're going to get is, what, 40 or 50 years? And I'm going to look uglier and uglier the whole time. I'm like, I'm a sinking ship. Physically. You didn't have to say amen that loud. Um, listen, so are you. We, we are all a sinking ship. Unless Jesus comes... Each one of us is going to get worse and worse physically. But when you pray for the inner man, and some of you have, and some of you did for me this week, to know that the Lord God loves me, that He sent me texts through the saints before they even knew the situation. Y'all, that's, that's inner strength. Inner strength that I, I don't deserve, but you you prayed for it, and I am a warrior by nature, and I should have been scared to death this week. I slept like a baby this week. I really did. Lisa uh, and, and Isaac were up in Beaufort, South Carolina, and I have a my brother-in-law. We were both cut from the same cloth in one area. We're both scaredy cats. We're both worry warts. All that. And I guess that he, uh, after he heard how well I was doing in the midst of all this, he's like, tell him I think he's Superman. <laughs> like, well, that's inner strength that only comes from prayer. That's, that's only truly, if you know me, that's like truly a miracle. I'm, I'm still the same goofy guy that goes to the worst case scenario, but I, I slept like a baby. Because I was strengthened in the inner man. Could we do that for each other? This week? We pray for one another in the inner man. It will reap eternal rewards. So Paul, Paul prayed on his knees to a big God. He prayed for the Ephesians to be strengthened in the inner man. And he also prayed, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you're like me, your first question is, wait a second. Paul, are you writing this to Christians or non-Christians? Christians, right? Okay, well... Doesn't Christ already dwell in their hearts? I mean, Jesus says, I'll come and I'll abide with you. The uh, Bible says that we are the temple of his Holy Spirit. Lots and lots of scriptures that say if you're a Christian, he's living in you now. So, Paul, what are you getting at here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I think for me, anyway, the key word here is dwell. It means to, some of you are very familiar with the concept, settle down to Abide. I keep coming back to it. John 15. Jesus says, look, I'm the vine. You're the branch. Unless you abide, you settle down in me. And I abide in you. You can do nothing. But if you will abide in me. Matter of fact. Sorry. Side trip. Oh, look, something shiny. Um, Psalm 91. Another chapter that ministered greatly to me this week. He who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. There's safety. There's joy in abiding. And Paul says, look, I'm praying that Christ may dwell, may abide in your hearts through faith. So he's talking about a, a settledness, uh, an attached at the hip kind of thing. Okay. 
Let me say it this way. This was the illustration that came to my mind this week. We do have a few snowbirds with us here, right? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, Richard and Denise are going to stay a long time if the uh, magic make it through the finals. So so we're praying that they'll they'll, uh, magic will make it through the finals so we can get have a little longer. But there are a few of you snowbirds who you own a house here in Florida and you own a house somewhere maybe up north. And you dwell, you abide, you settle down in your Florida home during the winter and you dwell in your other home during hell, uh, summer. <laughs> now, check with me here. This is, this is not to just the snowbirds, to everyone here. Listen, would you describe your relationship with Jesus as just a summer cottage? Or a vacation rental? Or would you describe your your relationship with Jesus as just a fortress that you seem to only go into when you're really in trouble? Is the Lord for you just a landlord who makes the rules and you drop your, your rent check in the box back there? Is the Lord... For you, just a roommate. You guys touch base, you know, a couple times a day uh, or maybe a couple times a week, but you're living separate lives. Is the Lord for you just a handmaid, someone who comes along and just cleans up after you, makes, makes your messes kind of go away? Or does the Lord dwell with you? Does He abide? Are you abiding in Him? Is it a 24-7, I'm attached at the hip and I can't do anything but to, to have Him, to carry, with him, carry Him with me wherever I go? Y'all, what a great prayer this is. To pray for the inner man and to pray this way, Lord, let my fellow saint here, the, the person that's sitting next to me here in church today, let them not just sort of know you, Lord, help them to abide in you 24-7, to be so completely dependent upon you. Paul prayed for the inner man, not just the outer man. He prayed for intimacy, not just acquaintance. Not just that casual, temporary visitor kind of thing, but that he would come and dwell in you. Okay, And he prayed, middle of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded... In love, rooted and grounded, very similar words. Uh, Here's the definitions kind of run together to strengthen with roots, to render firm, to fix, to establish, to cause a person or thing to be thoroughly grounded, to make stable. Paul says, no offense, but I'm praying that God will make you stable. And y'all, I pray, no offense, that God would make you stable. Seriously. Have you ever thought about this? I wouldn't have you raise your hand, but if if you say, you know what, sometimes I honestly feel like I'm kind of mentally unstable or or emotionally unstable. Seems to me, and and this week, I've had a, you know, one of those times where it's like, wow, Lord, you really made me stable. And it occurred to me, seems like there's two main ways that fear comes in, uh, excuse me, that, that instability comes in. Mental instability or or emotional, whatever it is. Fear and guilt. 
Fear will make you unstable. And guilt will make you unstable. You know what's crazy? The cure for both? Love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And, and David said, happy is he whose sins are forgiven. There's the guilt cover. My, my personal testimony this week, again, God sent me through multiple texts text through different people before any of them knew it. He sent me and said to me, no matter what happens, I've got you. I love you. Now, you don't know all the junk that I've done in my life, but it's a great thing for someone who has guilt to hear. It's a great thing for someone who has fear to hear. I love you. To hear from God Almighty, I love you. I promise you, I will. If, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, I will walk with you. I will carry you. Y'all, that we would pray for each other. This, to be rooted and grounded. That is to be stabilized for whatever lies ahead. The world's getting weirder and weirder. That we would be rooted and grounded in His love. That we would understand how much He loves us. Paul says, look, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. That means to lay hold of, to, to get a grasp of. That you may be, be able to comprehend with all the saints. Interesting, stop there for a second. With all the saints. To me, that means it's supposed to be normative. It's supposed to be the normal Christian life that we would understand how much He loves us. Another side trip. Oh, something shiny. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when I'm like, am I dying in a few months? In a re- really, really weird way. Whereas the sweetest time I've had in my whole life to know that God is right there, right? You know what's weird? It's starting Friday when I found out, well, it looks like the, the big bad things are less likely. Since then, if I'm honest, it sometimes almost feels like the, the normal Christian life is trying to sneak away, trying to slink away from me. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's supposed to be normative for the saints that we would be able to comprehend, to somehow grasp what is, it says, the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I want you to know that which is passes knowledge. Okay, you see the, the kind of weird irony there. But Paul is on his knees saying for the Ephesians, Lord, will you help them lay hold of how much you love them? Or will you help them to get it? That the love that you have for them passes their knowledge. Um, I wonder if Paul is saying, look, will you help them to understand that even though it's not logical, that you would love them? That even though they don't deserve it? Even though they've denied you so many times before, they've spit in your face. Will you help them to know that you love them? Will you help them to know that you're still crazy about them? What a great prayer for each other. To pray, Lord, if, if this person next to me is anything like me, they know they don't deserve your love, but would you open their eyes to the actual truth? The fact that you love them like crazy, would you give them just a glimpse of the width, the length, the depth, the height of your love? Lord, would you show them that your love is wide enough, for instance, 
to save the whole world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Now, raise your hand if you're still residing on the world right now. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Hmm. If you're still part of the planet, God's love is wide enough to include you. Because the rest of that verse says that whosoever would, would believe in the, the, the Son would have, not perish, but have everlasting life. What about the, uh, the length of His love? Paul says, would you help them to understand the length of your love? How long has God loved you? The Bible says from before the foundation of the world. The Bible says, from before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified. I don't know how that works, because I guess he, he is in and out of time. I don't know how it works. But before you even existed, he loved you and had a plan to redeem you. That's a long time. Since we just have a tiny glimpse of the width and the length of his love. What about the depth of his love? Or would you show them the depths that you were willing to go? To secure their salvation. Uh, what, Philippians 2? Lord Jesus was, was God in heaven. He emptied himself. The scriptures say he became a man. So one who could have the same hurts and uh, injuries that we have. And, and further than that, he went lower than that. He went low enough to be called a servant. He was washing feet the day before he died. And lower than that, he went so low as to die on a cross. You cannot get a more shameful, more uh, hurtful death than death on the cross. Let's see, how deep is his love? Is there anyone who's too low for him? Who he can't reach down and rescue? What about the height of his love? Well, if you know him, if you've given your life to him, your future is higher than the, the furthest star. Heaven. That he's set aside an inheritance for you. Could we, would we, would we pray for each other this way? Lord, you, it's obvious when I think about it how much you love us, but I, I'm forgetful and I bet you this guy beside me is also forgetful. Or would, would you... Help us to lay hold of, to grasp the love that you have for us, the height, the width, the depth, the length. Uh, I know that it's not really knowable, but help us to know it by experience. And again, I feel like that I can say that happened with me this week. I still can't explain his love, but I know it. I know it. And he says that, uh, and I think if, we, if we'll pray this way for each other, I think this next one kind of comes automatic, that you may be filled he says, with all the fullness of God. Filled um, in the Greek, it's playru. It means to be filled to the brim. Uh, whenever I see this word, I think surface tension, uh, right? Uh, you fill up a cup all the way to the top and it's actually just peeking over, but it's still somehow not overflowing, right? That is playru. And he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So then when you, you've got it, surface tension, but then the fullness of God comes through, coming through, it's like a geyser. The idea is, Paul's saying, look, I'm praying for your inner man that you'll understand how much he loves you. And when that happens, it, it can't, nothing 
could happen except that you'll begin to overflow with that love toward others. Um, it reminds me again, you probably heard it, the, the little boy that asked his mom, Mom, I'm so little and God is so big. If I ask Jesus into my heart, won't he stick out? <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's the idea. This is another great prayer. Lord, would you fill my fellow saint, the one that's sitting next to me, with your Holy Spirit to overflowing so that when that glass gets bumped, jiggled, what flies out isn't a cuss word, but is your Holy Spirit. When that glass maybe even gets tipped over, what comes forth is blessing flowing. So that when, you, when those things happen, you come flowing out. All right, well, it comes to the last couple of verses here of chapter 3. And uh, rather than dig into it really in depth, um, let's just kind of look at it uh, kind of briefly. It really is basically Paul's own overflowing. His, his cup now is overflowing with praise. And again, he's, he's writing this, probably has to ask the guard, hey, excuse me, can you move your arm? I've got to write this down. Now to him who is able to exceedingly, the word exceedingly means, it's, it's in the Greek, it's hyper, it means beyond, um, abundantly, that means over the top, way more than necessary, exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, how much is that? Quite a bit. According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't it interesting? I don't know about you, but I'm convicted when I look at Paul's prayer. Like, man, that guy prays big. <laughs> you know, I pray for I pray for some things and I call them big. You know, pray for healing for Noah. You know, a physical healing uh, of autism. And that that's pretty big in my mind. Like, if I saw it, I think we'd all be like, awesome. Look what God did, right? But even that, what a 80-year return. On your prayer. Paul here is praying some big, bold, crazy things. Is that my own? That's my own. It's new. It's my new. I don't know. Any, sorry. I'll have to get it fixed next, next week. It's new. Or one of you said it. I'm going to pray for your inner man. Paul's praying for huge things here. And do you notice how he finishes? He says, I, look, I, I pray for all these huge things. And, and now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. Now, Paul has just asked and thought of some pretty huge things, right? Do you kind of get the picture that Paul does this, you know, he goes into this flourish and it's just amazing. And then God's going, is that it? <laughs> That's all you need? That's it? For, for the Ephesians to be, you know, filled overflowing and, and to have their, their lives changed and, and for them to, uh, to be strengthened in the inner man, to be able to resist temptation. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I, again, I look at awestruck at Paul and Paul finishes and goes, you know, God's just like, OK, yeah. I wonder if God has like a matching program, you know, like, you know, what I'm talking about 401k thing. I don't know. Because Paul prays for huge stuff and, and Paul has to hear say, and God does so much more than what I can even imagine. 
Maybe this is the way to put it into practical application this morning as we close. If you're willing to pray for your, your fellow saint here this morning, maybe the last thing that you pray for them, Lord, would you show him or her that there's nothing too hard for you? That no matter what I can think of to ask or to even think, you are so far ahead of us. It's, it's easy. It's, it, you're able to do it. How many of you actually believe, at least in your head, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we could even ask or think? All right. If, if that's true, then I have witnesses. I'm going to ask the Lord right now, all these witnesses, Lord, would you make this church, those who pray like Paul, for each other? I just said it. It means I was able to ask it. It means I was able to think it. And He is able to answer way beyond that. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. Thank You. Thank You for Your faithfulness. And I thank You for the way that You show Yourself. You are high and lifted up. No one can approach You, Lord. We, again, we're amazed and and thrilled to hear Paul's words, Lord, and to know that we don't have to be prisoners, Lord, to our circumstance. And then we look at Paul and we look just past Paul and we see you. And you're so far able to do beyond what we could ask or think. Lord, forgive us first for prayerlessness. And then, Lord, forgive those of us who pray regularly for our puny prayers. Lord, forgive us for our selfish prayers. Forgive us for our prayers that um, are you're still concerned about because you love us. But for for not honoring you, Lord, with the, the hugeness of our prayers, that you would make this church, you would make these people, each one of us, like Paul, like Jesus, or fill us to overflowing, Lord, with your Spirit. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.